You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. So, if you want to grab your Bibles, John chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. I'll tell you a little bit about that in just a few moments, but uh, always great for you to have your Bible open. If you brought a uh, device and you want to look inside there, you can always go along in the notes there. And if you need a paper Bible, there is one under the seats there in front of you, John chapter 6. It's one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus. And uh, it's a great way for you to engage with the message today. In fact, you can fill in the notes that you'll find there in there and email them to yourself. And we'll get into that in just a few moments. I do want to just tell you, I got a text from Pastor Donnie this morning and they're in the the uh, service area where they're going to in the church building where they're going to be having the service this morning. Our worship team was up there. Alaska's leading worship with Hannah and my daughter Jenna and uh, uh, some others uh, that are there to, uh, to be able to do that. And I got a text from Jenna last night saying that she'd made it safe and she said, Dad, it's 82 degrees. It's hot. It's raining. So it's very humid. And they have palm trees with legit coconuts. <laughs> so we're a little jealous to be here in the Berg today, but you know, it's coming, right? It's going to be in the high 60s today, and by faith, we are going to see the warmth of God return to the Berg. Please, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. <laughs> Please, please, please bring warmth. If you're a guest this morning, again, my name's David, and it's my privilege to be able to share God's word with you today. If you are uh, newer to the church and we've not had a chance to meet, Michael and I will be out front afterwards with some other leaders. We would love the opportunity to get to know you and serve you and answer any questions that you might have. Today, though, we are going to continue in this series. Let me bring up, you up to speed if you've been away for a while, or maybe this is your very first weekend. We're in part of a larger theme that we've been in for the last, uh, since September. We'll be through this theme uh, through the month of uh, August, and it's all about step forward. It comes out of a New Testament text where one of Jesus' first followers, a guy by the name of Paul, wrote to a group of believers in the community of Galatia. And in there, he talks about the fact that because of the resurrection and because of the fact that Jesus lives inside, of us, the spirit of Jesus lives inside of us, the Holy Spirit. Since we live by the spirit, he said, let us keep in step with the spirit. And we've been saying week after week, and if you've been here since September, you're probably tired of me saying it. But the whole idea is, is that the Holy Spirit doesn't stay stagnant. He's moving forward and he invites us to step forward with him. And so we've been unpacking what it looks like to step forward with Jesus through each one of these series that we've been in. In this specific series, we're looking at several occasions in John's gospel. John was one of the very first followers of Jesus, and he recorded a record of the life of Christ. And that's where we get this book of John. And in this book of John, he talks about various snapshots of things that Jesus wanted to show people that he called greater things. And so this whole idea that we're in this specific series is don't blink. We want you to step forward with expectation. We don't want you to miss what God's doing all around you. He invites us not to blink, to keep our eyes open so that we don't miss the greater things. In fact, Jesus was having a conversation in the very opening chapter of John's gospel that talks all about this conversation that he has with a guy named Philip that eventually became one of his followers and another guy by the name of Nathaniel. And in that conversation, Jesus says, hey, you think what we're doing now is gonna be great? Wait until you see. In fact, we'll put it up on the screen there. This is what Jesus said. He says, you're gonna see greater things. Don't blink because you might miss it. You're gonna see these greater things. And then he says, you will see heaven open. 
And so we've been looking at in each one of these snapshots of what God does through the miraculous work of Jesus while he was walking on this earth. We see these amazing greater things. And today we're going to see something incredible as we look at this text in John chapter six. Now, before we get into there though, how many of you have ever been on a cruise before? Let me see your hands. Okay, how many of you wish you had been on a cruise before? Okay, that would be me, okay? So opposites attract, right, in marriage. My wife will be dead and buried before I get her on a cruise. It's just never going to happen. Her in the ocean, she likes to be on the beach and see it, but she does not want to be in it. And the story that we're gonna look at today doesn't help me out any because it's a mess on the water. So how many of you are more like Amy, my wife, and would say, I'm not going on a cruise because I'm, yeah, you don't wanna drown. Yeah, okay, so for those of you who've never been and you'd like to go, maybe we could form a small support group together, okay? I hope, I hope someday, I'll take my daughter, I'll take my son, somebody will go with me, right? So how many of you have ever had a bad experience on the water, though? Anybody had a bad experience on the water? Well you're going to be like the disciples today. I had one. It's actually, I've got two stories about me being in the water that I'll tell you one. I'll tell you both today because that's all I got is two. But one at the beginning, uh, one was several years ago, we were on a, a lake in Missouri with Amy's family and we were on this pontoon boat and there was just, you know, n- no storm, no, no rocky, nothing's crazy. But my kids were running around there. They were a little bit older. Kids were running around and uh, Amy's cousin, Janine, had her phone, her iPhone out. And she was looking at something and she kind of turned. And as she turned, Josh was kind of running by. Boom, boom. And I literally went, no, I can't do it. And into the lake it went down there. Just have a moment of silence for the iPhone. Still, I can have terrors at night watching that beautiful piece of technology go straight into the water. Anybody else ever lose your phone or some electronic device in the water? Yeah, see, I'm not helping you out if you don't want to get in the water. I'm not helping you out, am I? So that happened. And there's stuff, we all have stories of crazy things maybe that happens in the water or things we think about would happen. And the guys that are a part of the story today that Jesus is, we're gonna be interacting with, these guys were not new to water. These were, many of them were fishermen. Many of them had had a lot of experience. The story that we're gonna be looking at today takes place on the Sea of Galilee, a place that would be very, very familiar. It's in the scriptures. You see it on a regular basis. But I wonder when you go on a cruise, or if you think about going on a cruise, what are your expectations as it relates to what you're going to experience? I mean, think about, you know, if you were going on a cruise or you've been on one, take yourself back to those moments. What were your expectations? Sun, warmth, amazing and ridiculous quantities of food, right? How many have to go come back and get on a diet when you get back from the cruise? I've heard that's the case. It's honestly the biggest reason why I want to go. (laughs) It's because of the food. Uh, But you have these expectations. And when you get out on the water and those expectations are met, then all is great and it's awesome. But then at the same time, you get into that experience and it's just not what you'd hope for. And it's like, ugh, ugh, this just doesn't meet my expectations. And that certainly is gonna be the case with these men that we're gonna take a look at today. And I believe occasionally when I'm preaching, I feel like there are very specific things that I think in very specific scenarios that I think God wants to speak to. He'll speak to us all in a myriad of ways and he'll apply his word today to our lives specifically. But I believe for those of you who came in today with fear, 
that you feel adrift in life, that you're feeling helpless or hopeless, or perhaps you're feeling like you're kind of in a season where you're more self-reliant than God-reliant. I believe God has something to say to you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I hope as we walk through these verses that you'll begin to catch a glimpse of a greater thing than maybe you've ever experienced. And that person of Jesus could become alive and real and he could become someone that you could lean into when you find yourself adrift in life when you find yourself more reliant upon you than anybody else. And we have a tendency to head that direction if you're hopeless or helpless or fearful, that you could lean into the power and the presence of what Jesus has to say to you this morning because he's got something for all of us on the spectrum. Are you ready to look at God's word together? I'll stop talking about it and we'll look at it here together. So the story that we're gonna pick up in picks up in verse 16. Let me give you this story and give you a little bit of the backdrop. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people, which is a miracle in and of itself. He took two loaves and some fishes and he fed over 5,000 men plus all the women and the children were there. Upwards of maybe 15 plus thousand people are involved in this miracle that Jesus does. And the people are ready in that moment. The text tells us the people are ready to make him king. And he had fame in that moment. He could have had fame and fortune and power and prestige. They were there for the taking if Jesus wanted it. And the disciples that are traveling with Jesus and they're experiencing this, they would have welcomed that. They would have wanted that. They would have been very enthusiastic about that. Various ones of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record this story. Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus instructed his disciples to get into the boat that we're gonna look at here in just a moment and head to Bethsaida while he went up on a mountainside to pray. So keep this in your mind as we're reading this story. Jesus has just fed thousands of people. In fact, they've likened him to Moses in this story, right before the text that we're about to read. The people are looking at him and they're saying, hmm, one of the signs for the Messiah is that he would be able to feed us just like Moses did with manna and quail. He, uh, he would be that kind of a person. And so they're beginning to wonder, hmm, is he the guy that we've been looking for? Jesus says, guys, I want you to get in the boat and I want you to take off. I'm going up to the mountainside to pray. Why does Jesus do that? In fact, why does Jesus, as we're gonna see in a moment, his disciples go into a storm? Why does he send them into the storm? As I reflected on that, I think there's a good chance that he did that because he was rescuing them from the danger of being swept away by that fanatical crowd. Jesus knew that these guys had just been a part. They'd been actively involved with this miracle. They'd been a part of God's work in that moment. And it was a huge and very thrilling thing. I mean, imagine that. A boy's lunch gets reproduced and feeds tens of thousands of people. There was a potential that they could become prideful, they could become arrogant, and now they have to face a storm and Jesus breaks the power of that so that they can trust him at deeper levels. In fact, I would submit to you that as we look at the text we're about to see, that the feeding of the 5,000 was the lesson that he could do the miraculous just like Moses, but the storm was the examination after the lesson. He puts them into a teaching context. He teaches them something. And then he gives them an examination and he shows them greater things. 
And our tendency when we read through a story like this is to miss what's happening in the broader, grander picture. You see, we don't read these texts with a Hebrew mindset. But I wanna invite you today to put yourself into a Hebrew mindset. I wanna try to help you to do that because in the broader context of James 6, we are seeing the New Testament parallel to the Old Testament story of an exodus, of a mass confusion, of God doing a miracle, feeding the people through Moses and now through this Passover experience and they've just had the Passover experience in John 5 and John 6 with Jesus and now all of a sudden, There's this working of feeding thousands of people just like Moses did. They're wondering, hey, is this guy possibly the Messiah? And then the storm hits, they get out on the water and Jesus is gonna do some things that are gonna blow our minds away. With that in mind, if you would, would you please stand with me? And I wanna read these verses and then we're gonna walk through these things. These guys had made this journey so many times should have been very easy for them, but it turns into an unforgettable experience and expands their expectations. They had one set of expectations. Jesus, by the time they get across this lake, they have a completely different set of expectations. And it has huge implications for us today as well. When evening came, six, seven, eight o'clock at night, We don't know for sure. His disciples, that's Jesus' disciples, went down to the lake. Okay, so that's the Sea of Galilee. Can we show the Sea of Galilee? We'll look at a couple of pictures of that. So I want you to be able to see this. So this is just kind of a broad map that kind of lets you see. The Sea of Galilee was about seven miles wide across its greatest part. Now, in in the spirit of looking forward to warmer and better days, take a look at what it looks like today at the Sea of Galilee. Everybody say, hmm. See, if I could just, if, if we could be in church right there and I was just preaching and that was looking, you were just looking at that behind me, wouldn't that just be amazing? You wouldn't hear a word I said, would you? Ah, <laughs> oh, but that's what it looks like, all right? So then it goes on. It says, where they got into a boat and they set off across the lake. So let's take a look at the boat. In fact, we've found remains of what the boats in that part of the world would have looked like, and that's roughly reconstructed from parts of boats that we've discovered in archaeology around the Sea of Galilee. So that's about the size. It's not gonna hold, you know, don't think uh, Royal Caribbean. This is a small boat, all right? So they get into this boat, and they set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now, it was dark, Again, they may have been rowing six, seven, eight, possibly nine hours all the way across this place, seven miles at its widest. They're trying to get across and Jesus had not yet joined them. He was on the mountainside. Remember what he was doing? He was praying. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed, and let me just stop right there because we read over that word in the original language, that word is extremely graphic. It's the idea that they are straining. They had rowing, all right? So they're rowing across the boat or across the lake. It's literally the word means to torment, okay? In fact, you gotta say it with some strain. So could you help me out here? Rowed, like say it in your most strained voice, okay? On the count of three, ready for this? One, two, three, rowed. All right, they're trying to get across. It literally means the torment from childbirth to the pain and suffering that a person might experience in eternity in anguish and hell. So it's about, they're, they're trying to row across this lake about three or four miles. They saw Jesus approaching the boat. Talk about blinking. Like what? Seriously? 
They saw him approaching the boat, walking on the water, carrying an iPhone. No, just kidding. And they were frightened. But he said to them, help me out, it is I. We're gonna come back to that. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. They had to have a little negotiation here. We think he might be a ghost kind of a thing. Other texts say that they thought he was a ghost. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. My other story, before you are seated, my other story is when I was canoeing with one of our men's groups several years ago. And uh, two guys, uh, two of us were in a canoe. We're coming in, the rap, we'd hit the rapids on one of the local rivers here. It was a high, high river, it had rained a lot that summer. And me and this guy that were in the canoe, we're trying to find this little spot. And one of the other, one of the other canoes had gotten turned sideways. And so we went in, instead of being able to go into a nice little cove there, they were blocking the entrance to the cove. We T-boned them, swung around, hit the rock. I'm flipping over. I'm under the rock. I'm trapped under the rock. I can't get out. The rapids are running so strong. Lee Huffman and some other guys are there. And you better believe Lee Huffman didn't say, fear not. It is I, you know, he was like, I'm getting in there and I'm gonna get that. And I, he, had it been Lee Huffman, I would have said, yeah, I'm still afraid, get me out of this thing. When Jesus gets in there and he's involved, things begin to change. Have a seat. Let's look at these things here together. This storm is terrifying. The raves weren't just ebbing and flowing. They weren't cresting and crashing like you've probably seen when you've been in rough waters. The graphic language here is that this was a storm like they had never seen before. The waves were bubbling up. In fact, how many of you have ever taken a glass and you've had your straw and you've just blown bubbles and the thing goes right over there? Anybody ever do that? Anybody, your kids ever did it with the milk and it went everywhere? Yeah, yeah, thank you for that. Yep, Josh did that everywhere, all over the, yeah. Anyway, uh, so that's a picture of what we've got here. And they couldn't get out of it. And they're afraid and they're overwhelmed and they feel like they're about to die. They feel like they're in over their head and they feel like they've got no way out. And it would have been an easy assumption to make looking out there, thinking you're going to die, that's a ghost. That's, we're, we're done, this is over. Life as we know it is completed. Why in the world did Jesus send us out here? Things were so good. We had it so good back on land. Here we are adrift and we're a mess and we're out of control and the storm has consumed us. Why would Jesus send us into this? He's up on the mountainside praying. Wait, now he's right here with us. Now he's right near next to us. In all of this excruciatingly frightening scene that we just can't fully get a hold of seated here in this room today, Mark's account of this makes a statement that's a game changer in how we look at this, these verses. Mark chapter six and verse 48 says that in the middle of all of this, they actually sense something about Jesus in these moments. He says this, seeing them straining at the oars, he came to them. He intended, help me out, to pass by them. Again, with our Western mindset, we don't fully get a hold of this, but watch what happens as we begin to unpack this because the language 
that Mark uses and that John uses when you bring them together is so powerful to help us to see what's going on here. Jesus, why in the world would it say that Jesus intended to pass by them? Because Jesus was in the business of showing his disciples and displaying for the people the greater things. And certainly he's gonna do that for us today. Jesus, if you don't know anything about Jesus, he was always intentional. Nothing was ever by happenstance or by chance or coincidence. Jesus left no room for those things. He willed this to happen, in my opinion, to prove a point. The phrase that's used there, he intended to pass by them, is used elsewhere in the scriptures. And I'm gonna take you to two accounts where this happens. Because when you get a hold of this, it describes an epiphany. It describes something that discloses or unveils the work of God and the character and the nature of God in ways that are greater than we could possibly get a hold of just by our quick cursory reading of this. Two other times that God reveals himself and his identity and his power and his nature when he goes to pass by other people. The first one is the account that we're gonna look at. We'll put it in your, up on the screen in your notes and it's on Mount Sinai. God passes by Moses to reveal his character and his nature. Look at what it says here. Then Moses said, this is Exodus 33. Moses said, now, God, would you show me your glory? In other words, in the context of our series, God, would you show me something greater, the greater thing? Show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness, notice this, to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock when my glory, help me out, passes by. Same language. I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. In other words, Moses, don't blink because I'm coming by. You can't look at me head on, but I'm gonna pass by. I'm gonna show you my character, my nature, my compassion, my mercy, my power. They will be on display in the very eyes. As you look at my back, you will see the glory, the greater thing. God also passed by Elijah on Mount Horeb. The Lord said, this is 1 Kings 19, go out and stand on the mountain. He's talking to Elijah in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after a fire, came a gentle whisper. God speaks. He passes by in the whisper. I can't wait for our next series. It begins in two weeks. The month of May, we're going to look at for about six, seven weeks, we're going to look at the whole way that God speaks. We've been talking for this last year about how God's uh, we're to be in step with God's spirit. How does he speak so that we can be in spirit, in step with his spirit? We're gonna talk about the whispers of God and how he speaks. We're gonna talk about desires and dreams and doors and promptings and people and pain and how God speaks through his word. 
You're not going to want to miss that series. God shows up. He passes by. He shows them the greater things. He showed it to Elijah. He showed it to Moses. And now in the boat, what was happening there 2,000 years ago, could it have been that in that moment, as those disciples were on the backside of watching this man that they knew had miraculous powers, who'd been likened to Moses, he's helping these people experience this feeding, this miraculous feeding. And then in the middle of this, he passes by them. And in the Hebrew mindset, as they're sitting there and they're experiencing that, could it have been just then that they were beginning to see the greater things that Jesus had promised them that they would experience if they followed him? They would catch a revelation of his glory and his splendor and his majesty that he was sovereign and in control over all, including nature including the storm that they would find themselves in. I think Jesus' invitation to us today when we find ourselves in the storm, I think he would say to us, look for greater things in the storm. Look for his revelation. Look for his work in ways that we can't fully even understand. We feel like we're in over our heads. We feel like that we might be abandoned, that we are, there, there's a hopelessness, there's a helplessness in this moment and where things are out of control, they're spinning out of control and there's a storm raging around us and we wonder, God, are you here? God, do you care? Jesus says, yeah, look for the greater things. Look for my glory to pass by you in the least expected moments. Jesus reveals again that he's got all of this authority as creator, could it be without saying a word, Jesus is preaching a message to us today that he's the God of Moses, the God of Elijah, the God that is one with the Almighty. If you read this through this, the Old Testament, you'll see that Moses parted water, Elijah parted water, Elisha parted water, even Joshua parted water, but only Jesus walks on the water. But the story doesn't end here. Jesus gets in. He has this conversation. He says, have courage. He says, have courage. It's me. It's I. It is I. Don't be afraid. And I came here today to tell somebody that's here, that's full of fear, that's full of doubt, that's in over your head, take courage. Take courage. Take courage. Take courage. It is I, God speaks to us in the storms. It is I, I am not abandoning you. I am not leaving you. I am right here with you. I have never left you. I have never forsaken you. It is I, and I want to get into the storm with you. Somebody needs to hear that today. Maybe a whole bunch of us need to hear that today. The phrase, do not be afraid. Somebody needs to hear that. Do not be afraid. That phrase is used over a hundred times between Genesis and Revelation. And it's usually spoken right before God shows people greater things and is a way that he reassures them that he's in control, that he's sovereign. That things are not spinning out of his purview. How could the disciples relax in the middle of a storm at sea? Jesus assures them, do not fear. And the language that he uses would not have escaped them. He says, I am. 
in the middle of this moment. He says, I am. And in fact, if you read through John's gospel, Jesus says it in a myriad of ways. I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. I'm the gate. I'm the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. And as he spoke to Moses, I am who I am. And Jesus in that moment reveals his divinity and his power and his authority. And the name that he speaks, speaks to God's constant presence. I always was, I always am, and I always will be. Whatever it is that you're facing, I always was, I always am, I always will be. Whatever it is that you feel in, your, in over your head, whatever storm you might be in, God speaks I am to that today. And he invites you to find courage, to find courage in the storm. When you begin to look for the greater things and you begin to see his control and his power over all of those things, and the fact that he's right there with you, and his glory can pass by you in ways in the storms that you can't see otherwise. He wants you to find courage in the storm. In fact, I love, I love this. We were reading it on Good Friday. On the night of Jesus' betrayal, Jesus associates himself with the I am of the Old Testament. In John chapter 18, he records these words. Jesus fully realized. So Jesus is in the garden He's being betrayed by one of his followers, Judas. And it says, Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. What's the all that was going to happen to him? His brutal torture, his brutal death, his burial, and his ultimate resurrection for you and for me. And notice this, so help me out. So he, come on now with some conviction. He what? Stepped forward right there. Jesus doesn't invite us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. And in the moment of his betrayal, in the moment when the storm was about to hit him, like we can't even get our brains around, he steps forward into it for you and for me. And right there in the moment, he doesn't back away. He steps right into it. Those people had come to arrest him. I don't know about you and me. I'd have been out of there. Thank you very much. There's Peter. Grab him. Thomas is really slow. Grab Thomas. I'm out of here. He doesn't do that. He steps forward right into the middle of it. Who are you looking for? He asked. Jesus, the Nazarene, they replied. Help me out again. I am he. I am. He identifies himself with his Old Testament reference to the God who always was, who always will be. I am he, Jesus said. As he said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. And it doesn't happen just once. There's an ongoing supremacy, even in the midst of what looked like to the disciples that everything had fallen apart. And when Jesus speaks to them from the storm, in the middle of the storm, instead of falling away in fear, the disciples are comforted and they're drawn to him. And they realize that it's Jesus, their teacher, their rabbi, and they fall down. Other accounts say they fall down and they worship as he enters the boat. Why do they do that? Why do they worship a man who says, I am? 
because he had just demonstrated his authority over the ability to produce food and manna for a group of people. He speaks into their storm and he doesn't just part the water, he walks on the water. And he shows that he is supreme over it all. And in that moment, they bow down and they worship him because they realize in a new, fresh way, they don't blink, they catch it. He is God, he is sovereign, he is in control. And the message that comes through all of this, if you're not a follower, is that Jesus is more than a man. He's more than just a a, a good teacher. He claimed to be God and he backed that claim up. He's the creator God, the God of Israel, the God that is the I am of the burning bush. He's fully human and yet fully God simultaneously. So why do we take time to walk through these verses? Why do we do that? Because I needed something to say for 30 minutes? No, because we never know when the storms of life will hit us. We never know when that financial situation that just absolutely wrecks us is gonna hit us. We never know when the son or the daughter that we love and cherish is just gonna totally take a walk on the wild side. They're gonna run away. They're gonna just disappear. We don't know when the terminal illness is gonna happen. And God's voice of assurance must be louder than the voice of doubt in our hearts. And this story is here to help us with that, to help us remember that. I think Jesus would say, if he were standing here in front of you today, let me rescue you. Let me rescue you. Let me rescue you in the storm. Grant me the access to do that. I won't force myself on you, but my glory is passing by you right in the middle of the darkest of the days that you face. Interestingly, if you think about this, Jesus told his disciples to go across the lake. He was the one that commanded them to do that. In that simple statement, I think that he assured them of a successful voyage across the lake, but he didn't assure them that there wouldn't be storms, the difficulties wouldn't arise. He said just that they would make it. And sometimes we're caught in a storm because of disobedience to the Lord. Check out Jonah's story. You'll see that. But many times, sometimes the storm is all around us because we've actually obeyed the Lord. When that happens, I want to remind you, or maybe you've never heard it before, but when that happens, when you're in the middle of a storm, because of the obedience that you have followed through on, Jesus will do the same thing for you that he did for these guys. What's he doing? He's up on the mountainside and he's praying. Can you imagine the conversation that night? Father, they're gonna go out there and it's gonna be a mess and they're gonna get really afraid. So would you help them to grow through this? Because they're gonna need this later on. He's prayed for them. He prays for you. In fact, the scriptures say that today he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf. But he doesn't just pray. He comes to them. He gets down off the mountain and he gets onto the water and he comes to them. And he's coming to you today and he'll come to you for the rest of your life in the storms that you face. And then he delivered them. And he wants to deliver you this morning as well. 
Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, God has spoken, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Sometimes Jesus chooses to say, quiet, be still to the storm. And that's what we like. We like it when he does that one. But sometimes he says, quiet, be still to our souls as the storm rages on around us. And either way, rest assured, whether he calms the storm or he calms your soul, he will be with you. Don't blink. Don't miss what he's doing in the storm. How will you step forward into the storm? The same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and me. And when we face the storm, he'll be there to help us to not just survive it, but to thrive in it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for never leaving us. Thank you for never forsaking us. Lord, we acknowledge that we're dependent upon you in the good days when the sun is shining. We love those days. We also acknowledge that we're dependent upon you in the bad days in the stormy days, in the dark and dreary days that seem to last for weeks or months. Lord, would you please help us to see you and the work that you're longing to do in us when things are dark, when things are cloudy all around us. Father, we need courage to not just survive the storms, but to thrive in them and to grow in them. Lord, we are so prone to become paralyzed by the fearful and uncertain waters around us. So Lord, would you please move? Move by your powerful and sovereign hand and reassure us that you're in control. We take our eyes off of you and we look at the storm. So Lord, would you help us to be mindful of those around us who are caught in the storm? Maybe the waters are very tranquil for us right now. Or maybe, Father, we're on the shore and we're looking out and we're seeing somebody around us that's in over their head. The waves are crashing around them and you're inviting us to get into the water and to go and to help, to be your hands extended. So Lord, would you anoint us to step forward into their difficult situations? And Lord, would you help us to offer hope to offer courage, to offer support. And then God help us to be quick to receive those things when it's our turn, when we're in need. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.